Welcome to the How I Became podcast, all about entrepreneurship. Alan, welcome to the How I Became podcast. I am beyond honored that you are joining us today. Um, I have a whole host of questions that I'm excited to walk through with you and get your perspective on and hear your journey um, over the years growing Wattpad, selling mm-hmm. Wattpad and starting your new venture with, with your wife. Um, mm-hmm. But where I'm interested to start, and this is just a line that I read on your LinkedIn profile that you are a recovering CEO. So <laughs> I wanted to start there and understand what does that mean? And how did you come up with that phrasing? Yeah, I guess uh, um, the, the the word recovering, perhaps there's a tiny bit of negative connotation in there. Uh, and uh, in a way, it's not wrong, but also in a way, it's not. It's not right. It doesn't yeah. really tell the whole story, because uh, I guess um, I, I believe uh, many CEOs would agree. Whether you are CEO of a two-person company with just two, your co-founder or or multiple co-founders, or um, a thousand-person company, uh, all CEO would agree with one thing: it's a super, super stressful job. Is uh, perhaps you can delegate a lot at scale, especially, but the decisions that you have to make, perhaps just one decision every month, um, could be uh, a decision that change completely change the trajectory of the of the company, and right. and that type of decisions are super super stressful, and that's why you know it's like having a good exercise, going to the gym. You need to recover. It doesn't mean exercising is bad. You know, sometimes, you know, it's actually freshen you up, but you just need some time to recover. Yeah, that makes sense. It is probably one of the toughest jobs out there. So now post-CEO life, how are you enjoying it? And what are you focused on um, day-to-day mm-hmm. now? Yeah, so... Um... Well, uh, I guess I'm forever recovering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, 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 I don't mean to say this in, the, in a bad, negative way. It's just that uh, the, 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 the next thing after on my LinkedIn profile, after recovering CEO, is a three-time entrepreneur. So um, for me, uh, I, I just don't have it in me to start the fourth one. The reason is nothing I don't like it. Not saying I didn't love my job. In in fact, it's exactly opposite. But the fourth time sounds a little bit re- repetitive. Uh, I'm I'm not sure um, it's motivating enough for me to do the same thing over and over again. Right. In in a way, it's almost like you you've been to the Stanley Cup final a few times, and uh, perhaps you know I still want to go there, but perhaps in a different role. Uh, it's the yeah. same game, and that's why, uh, as a venture capitalist now, is um, in a way, it's giving me still giving me all the same adrenaline, and at the same time, I feel like I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm doing something new. It's a new challenge, and uh, I think that's that's a net plus to me. Yeah, so I guess with starting two small fish, you're able to kind of uh, stay in that entrepreneur entrepreneurial world in a different way and helping other people achieve that that Stanley Cup or you know achieving that end goal um but I and we'll get in into two small fish 
I'm curious though, when in your in your journey, maybe it was, you know, coming to Canada or your family or other influences, but what made you realize that you wanted to be an entrepreneur or that that was a path that excited you? Yeah, perhaps I'll give the audience a little bit more background. I, Please. Um, my family uh, moved here when, after I finished high school, uh, I was uh, 18 and 11 months at that time. And uh, technically an, an adult, uh, legally an adult, but practically still a kid. Um, so uh, at, at that time, I, um, I got enrolled into electrical engineering at, at U of T. Um, and then I got my master there. And uh, I guess many immigrant families would uh, go through the same thing. Um, the, the first generation, they they try so hard to bring the next generation to a new country. Uh, we have to make it work. And uh, the one thing very common is, well, find a stable job. Uh, find a, a good job that uh, okay. I pay. Uh, that's, uh, I would say, uh, most immigrant families would, 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 would hear the same thing. I, I don't need, need to convince anyone here. Um, so um, in a way, uh, I'm not saying I just uh, listen to to um, to my parents. You know, I, I, I do want to make my own decision, but definitely parents made a huge influence on me. So my first job was at IBM. And uh, I believe after the first day, I know this is not me. I know large corporation is not me. Wow. So uh, um, I think nine months later, I joined um, a tiny startup company at that time uh, called Delrina. And uh, um, keep a long story short, uh, when I joined, it was uh, maybe 50, 60 people, something like that, and maybe closer to 100. I actually don't know the, the actual number, but definitely under 100. And uh, well, the one of the reasons I joined was my uh, girlfriend, then girlfriend, now now wife. Uh, we met in school, um, and Eva um, uh, got her first job at the arena, and I saw her. Such a big contrast between IBM, a big corporation, and a tiny company. When she joined, it was like twenty people. And uh, so nine months later, I, I joined, and it was one of the luckiest and best decisions uh, in my life because um, I have the chance to work for uh, some amazing entrepreneurs and saw the company grew from like 20 people when Eva joined. Uh, I joined nine months later to like four years later, it became an eight-person company and just sold for half a billion dollars. And that was in the 90s, right? That was wow. a big deal. When um, uh, when you have a chance to see a small company in literally over a thousand, just over a thousand days, grew to become one of the top 10 PC software companies in the world. Life-changing. That That's is... all I have to say. <laughs> in the amount that you learn and how a company goes from so small to successfully becoming so big must have been just jaw-dropping. Were you knowing that you had from, as you mentioned, from like immigrating to Canada and there was pressure to be successful? And I think a lot of families feel that. Were you nervous to take a leap from, you know, a big corporate and successful company like IBM and 
moving to something perhaps more risky because it was so small. Not obviously you, you couldn't tell the future. You didn't know that it was going to be successful. So did you have a high risk tolerance? Um, I, I don't think at that time, I don't think I had a high risk tolerance. And in fact, my parents' first reaction at that time was, uh, well, IBM is a very reputable big company. Right. All those things that you imagine, it, especially in Asian uh, parents would, would say at, at that time, right? Uh, but uh, I guess I, I, I wasn't able to articulate this really well, but it did not feel that risky at the time. Uh, I guess when, now, as a reflection, when I look back, I can very succinctly uh, summarize how I feel. A startup might be risky, but the startup ecosystem is not. Hmm. So if it doesn't work out, it's all right because uh, you, you, you just jump to another startup and start over again. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, if you stay in that ecosystem, you know, I don't think in the past perhaps uh, half a century, this ecosystem at any given point in time disappeared for even a millisecond. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and I guess whether if if you're working at the company, whether it fails or succeeds, you're going to learn a lot in all of those learnings you mm -hmm. can apply to whatever the next startup that you end up at is. Um, which takes me maybe to the next part of your journey there. So you were part of this company that rapidly grew and exited. Then what for, for you and for Eva at that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I think after uh, not even a year, all the founders left. Uh, yes, it is, it's almost like the uh, uh, Raptors after winning the, the championship, you know, they, they, they run off to different teams uh, and that's only natural. Uh, I think after a year or two, Eva left and joined uh, ATI, uh, now AMD. Um, it was uh, uh, ATI, for, for those who might not remember, uh, it was actually one of the largest, maybe the second largest or third largest uh, tech acquisitions in Canada ever. Um, it was the world's number one graphics uh, chip company. Uh, second was NVDF and, and ABM, uh, not ABM, uh, AMD bought them maybe in 2006 or, or something. Um, and for me, I took the very unusual path when uh, everyone left and went on to start their own company or join another company. I actually stayed on for another four years. Uh, Symantec acquired uh, Darina at that time. So uh, I, yeah, I worked there for four years. And I would say it was kind of unusual, but it was one of the best decisions as well because I didn't have to switch the job. Uh, it wasn't a new environment. Of course, over time, it evolved into more like Symantec and get assimilated. It's, a new environment, but it's not an abrupt change, first of all. And, and secondly, uh, Symantec was a far larger company than Darina, even at that time. I think they were number three in the world in PC software at that time. And uh, um, I learned how to lead, how to manage a large team, uh, manage, uh, not manage, um, interact with uh, uh, various stakeholders that's the skill that you you possess only when you uh, work for a scale up or a large scale company um, so in a way um, 
it's very, very complementary to the skill that I acquired early on from the amazing entrepreneurs. And perhaps unintentionally, I didn't know I would uh, need that skill when I ran Wattpad when it was at scale. So um, yeah, when, when Wattpad was uh, close to the acquisition, it was the organization was uh, a few hundred people. And yeah. how would I know the skill to manage such a large team? And I actually recycle a lot of that when I learned from, uh, that I learned from uh, Symantec. You never think that a skill you're going to learn at a big, a company that grows to that scale is going to help you at the end of your mm-hmm. entrepreneurial journey or, or at the end of, you know, your startup experience when you are mar- managing a large team, because in the beginning you're starting with, you know, a handful of people, if not, so you, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I didn't need those huge, you know, big team leadership skills. But I think it's amazing that you were able to pull that thread throughout the in- entire experience um, from building. But that was one of the things that I was curious about is growing as a leader from, you know, employee one to employee 100 and how you, whether it was at Wattpad or or previously, but what are the, some of those learnings that you took because, you know, a leader at a team of one to a leader at mm-hmm. a team of, um, you know, multi-levels is very different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess as, as a reflection, uh, I would say, the early startup founders, uh, the skill that they need to uh, to perform, um, is very very different than a leader or a CEO at a few hundred, a few thousand people. Completely different skill. At the same time, one thing that few people talk about, and I think that skill is actually um, extremely valuable but rare, is is scaling, going from zero to one and to 10 to a hundred is also a very completely different skill. You know, there are a lot of people, their uh, lifetime career is a, in a large corporation. They can run uh, a big corporation like uh, the back of their hand, but going from smaller, a smaller organization to a bigger organization, I, I think that's required. Also a completely different skill. And I, I think that's uh, one thing that I, I truly, truly appreciate. And especially when I look back and uh, I, I think very few people have that skill, to be honest. Are there some elements of the skill that stand out to you from, uh, you know, zero to one to a hundred that you would be able to point out the difference in those, in those leaders across the scale? Yeah. Let's say, um, perhaps I'm oversimplifying, but uh, from zero to 10, uh, Mm -hmm. the founders or everyone in the company would need to wear multiple hats. Um, As an example, uh, I believe our, um, uh, uh, you know, Ivan and I co-founded the company and then Eva joined us uh, shortly after. And then uh, uh, we we started, Need to expand. We start to hire people. Our first hire was, uh, you know, uh, um, a colleague that we used to work at, at uh, uh, another another company. So the the whole team know each other for, for quite some time. But anyway, I digress. Um, the first hire as as a perfect example. In the morning, uh, he would be uh, 
writing the iOS code. Uh, perhaps uh, by noon time he would switch to Android, and in the afternoon he would switch to the backend um, in a single day. So uh, that's a good example of wearing multiple hats. Um, and I can name ten other things that we we had to do uh, on a single day. But uh, when the company grew to say 20, 30 people or 40 people. Um, many still wear multiple hats, but uh, many start to be very specialized. You do iOS and iOS only. You do perhaps the, the first marketing is from social media to, <laughs> to graphics and, and everything in between. And uh, at some point, we, we would have someone perhaps just specialize on, on social media and nothing else. Um, that's a big switch because, well, obviously the scale is very, very different. But when, as you continue scale, you need to hire managers. Uh, you have to hire, hire leaders to, to lead the managers. When you, you need to add another level in the company. That's also another, uh, another skill that you might excel at as an IC, uh, individual, individual contributor, but you might not be good at managing. You might be good at managing, but you might not be good at leading other managers and other ICs. So um, that transition, in a way, is fascinating. That transition is, uh, a lot of people could not make it. Um, uh, I don't want to sound negative, but, uh, uh, but it's true. Uh, so I, think, I guess the, in a nutshell, uh, for people who uh, went from zero to a hundred, uh, I would summarize it as be unrecognizable every year too, because the skill that you need to uh, do a good job changes so rapidly. Not saying you just be unrecognizable, you'll be doing a good job. But if you are not unrecognizable, you probably are not doing your job in a fast-growing uh, company. Alan, I love hearing you say that. It has been mentioned by three different folks on this podcast about firing and rehiring yourself six months later and <laughs> should continue to evolve because if you recognize yourself, you're stagnant. So you need to continue mm -hmm. to to change. Um, and and I've never thought of it that way. Obviously, you know, you're reading books or you're trying to try a, a new technique, but to actually think of it as making yourself unrecognizable so you can continue to push the for the business forward is such a great mm -hmm. um like brain structured like a way to think about it mm -hmm. uh, i'm yeah, curious maybe i'll, I'll, do I'll double click on, on the on this yes one, please uh, uh for another uh, one minute perhaps um one thing that i did um it was uh, i guess let me start off with the problem i i recognize oh perhaps two months ago is Everything is hunky dory. Everything was working, and then I realized hmm, things are broken now. What what happened? It's not like the process or whatever you do automatically got broken. It's just the fact of scaling. So um, one thing I I did, and this is I'm using this as an example. There are other things that, that I did as well. Is one uh, every year I look at my calendar and see how I spend my time. And uh, uh, every year I have to make some adjustments because what worked 12 months ago might not work anymore. So there are tasks that I have to 
give up delegates. Uh, now perhaps the team, uh, I hire that function, I hire that person I could delegate to. And uh, that's super helpful. Were there elements of the job knowing you were technical that you missed as you started to scale because you're no longer, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you, you stayed very much uh, in the back end, but as you became a bigger leader, did you miss part of the early stage elements? Uh, uh, yes, but perhaps just initially. And, and let, let me explain. Um, the uh, When we first started, uh, it was only Ivan and me. And uh, I have to say Ivan is probably the best engineer, best technologist I've ever worked with. Uh, everything he does is 10x the speed of anybody else I've ever seen, it's including myself. Have. Yes, yes, yes. So um, initially, I would say I resisted the temptation. I, I almost couldn't resist the temptation to write code. I, I love doing that. And I, even though um, before uh, I started Wattpad, I already started leading a large team or larger teams, right? right. So um, there was at one point, there was a piece of code that uh, he didn't have time to do it. It's a standalone piece of code that kind of threw away and I couldn't resist the temptation of doing that. And I quickly realized, well, uh, why? Why should I be doing this after I've done that? And then it was also a very good decision. I, I told myself, let me stop writing code professionally because I have someone who can do it faster in this case. But most importantly, even if Ivan is slower than me, uh, which is not possible, but let's assume that, um, I have other more important, uh, well, I shouldn't say more important, in my role, more important job to do. Writing code is important, but my role is different. I have, it's like a hockey um, team. Don't play defenseman when you are forward. If you're a goalie, right. don't jump to the other side and, and, and start shooting, right? You, you have your job to do. So um, that was uh, an aha moment. Uh, and I think I can count so many examples along the way that I love doing this. I started learning this. I started doing this and loved doing this two years ago, but I have to give it up because my role has changed. Right. I imagine there it's hard, but then you learn to love the new elements and the new challenges mm -hmm. that you're facing as you grow. Uh, yeah. But you, you've mentioned a little bit of the start of the business, and I wanted to talk about building the business. Um, I was reading a bit that in the early days, you were pitching to Eva about the idea of reading a book <laughs> on your phone, and perhaps she didn't buy into the concept uh, in, in the early days, but she saw that you were super passionate about it and that you mm -hmm. were going to jump into this. Um, so what was that experience like coming to this idea, starting to build the business, um, you know, bringing all the pieces together for something that you truly believed in? Yeah, uh, well, perhaps give the audience a little bit more context. Uh, Please. Um, I, I had this idea uh, uh, more than 20 years ago when I was the CTO of my first company, Tira. Uh, it was a mobile gaming company, but I love to read, so I did that prototype. But it didn't, of course, the phone size, the phone capability was so primitive at that time. 
So fast forward to 2006, I was uh, a year before the iPhone came out. Uh, at that time, the most popular phone was the was the uh, flip phone, um, yeah. the Motorola Razor. The Razor. Oh, and oh, and Apple, <laughs> remember that? They favorite phone. Uh, yeah. So that on that phone, um, you can actually read relatively comfortably, right? That's that's the in a way the genesis of Wattpad. I started. The uh, resurrected the prototype, and then Ivan. Uh, even though we were friends for many years, uh, I didn't realize in his basement he was building the same thing. And once we discovered that, wow. let's work together. And once we decided, uh, I secretly flew to Vancouver to see him. We moved to Vancouver for like um, a few years. I, I was supposed to go to San Francisco, change the flight, and connect through Vancouver, and met at the airport, and then well. Let's start the company. That kind of conversation. So when I went back home, I told Eva, right? Um, hey, I talked to Ivan about this idea. You know, I'm have been working on this for many years, and he's working on this as well. I could just see how she rolled her eyes. I wish I recorded that on a video. That was the most amazing, <laughs> hilarious, but also depressing moment. Um, uh, anyway. Um, uh, she was very supportive, even though she told me this is the most stupid idea uh, I've ever seen. And she wasn't wrong, because I would say, uh, despite the uh, flip phone was uh, much better, there's one thing better than the flip phone, the iPhone. So when the iPhone came out, that was game-changing. Um, but initially, because uh, it was still very, the infrastructure uh, was still very primitive, not just the phone itself, but um, uh, there was no, Wi-Fi wasn't as ubiquitous, perhaps starting to become ubiquitous, but mobile data uh, from the uh, carriers, it, it was non-existent. You, you can buy a plan, but... Uh, it's like $10 per megabyte or something. It's like ridiculously right. expensive. So no, no one had it. So all those building blocks, they were not in place at that time. And that's one of the reasons why the the initial perhaps two, three years, it was tough. It was difficult. We just couldn't get any traction. Did you, knowing that these were going to be roadblocks in the success of Wattpad, not being able to have internet all the time, not everyone not having an iPhone the day it came out like that. Um, was your mindset, well, eventually technology will catch up, that this will, like this makes sense? Or was it that you would create Wattpad in a way to live in a world where not everyone had an iPad and Wi-Fi wasn't everywhere? Like, mm -hmm. How did you think about that? Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, to... Uh, well, you use, uh, even, even though I don't play hockey, I use a lot of hockey analogy, as you can tell. Uh, what, what, what does uh, Wayne Gretzky said? You know, uh, don't go where the puck is, go where the puck uh, will be, right? Um, that's his famous, famous quote. And I, I think, uh, we, we, in a way, we, uh, all, um, all of us, uh, all three of us, uh, Eva, Ivan, um, uh, had the ability to kind of see the future in in a way we uh, partially it helped because we all three of us also work at, at Tira Wireless uh, right. 
uh, it was the mobile gaming company that, that I mentioned I, that I co-founded. And um, uh, we kind of in the few years leading up to starting Wattpad, we saw how the, uh, 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 what the trajectory was in terms of improvement in screen size, in phone capability, in terms of connection. You know, we can extrapolate. We, we uh, deep down, we know we might be a little bit too early, but um, well, you'd rather be too early than too late. Uh, once the window of opportunity has closed, uh, yeah. it's, it's done. You have to move, move to the next idea. Totally. And with the idea of Wattpad um, being like kind of a two-sided writers and the mm -hmm. readers get people to start writing, start using it. And then once it's caught up, you kind of mm -hmm. already have your first movers, your early uh, your early movers and and it can snowball from there i'm sure mm -hmm. yeah I, I guess at that time we were we weren't able to articulate this as well remember it was 2006 almost 20 years ago now and youtube was one year old facebook was a hundred person company right uh so um i think Definitely. the uh for for many founders uh this is a uh, very important points. Um, at that point in time, we we saw the platform shift. We saw the, uh, what I mean by that is um, the world uh, started to shift from uh, the static web 1.0 to mobile, social, cloud computing, the confluence of all three uh, at the same time. And if you catch that wave early if you have a unique product that fully natively capture that opportunity they are uh, that's the best time to uh, in a way uh, to start a company and that's only happened once in a decade or so and you have to have the perseverance throughout that to to stick it out and hope to see the other side of it when you know things are changing and you know, you saw the three of you saw a future, but I'm sure, you know, there's three other founders at the time that saw a different future and went a different way, you know, and, and there's a bit of luck that plays into it. I'm curious. And I know you've shared that there were times that you had doubts and you thought about pulling the plug on Wattpad in the beginning, but what had, like, what was driving you to persevere and push through, or perhaps what are some of the defining moments in, in those early days that helped you grow it to what it is now? Yeah, so uh, about uh, after a year we, we, we started, we hope at that time to uh, reach like a million users. It's, it's kind of modest because uh, YouTube, uh, again, YouTube was one year old at that time and we, we saw uh, um, they went from zero to maybe 10 million in a year. So one million was kind of modest. Uh, but um, we, uh, I think we uh, reached that goal, except that we missed by three zeros. Uh, uh, depressingly, after the first year, uh, as a free product, you only have a thousand users. And, uh, you know, if you run a B2B SaaS company, like after one year, you have a thousand customers, celebrate, right? But for a free consumer product, a thousand users, you suck. So we were really struggling. Um, we, um, uh, I went and I went out for, coffee uh, at that time and uh, we already start uh, experimenting with different revenue like 
uh, advertising. We have some banner ads on, on, on our website. Yeah. And uh, I got a check. I wish I kept that check. Uh, it's a $2 check from Google. We were using Google Display, and it was ridiculously uh, depressing. And uh, we went out for coffee. And this is why I said, Ivan, we, I cashed that check. Uh, Did you but, cash it? You know, yeah, we, we cashed it. I, I was kicking myself. I shouldn't. Uh, I should have framed it. But anyway, yeah. that turned into uh, one cup of Tim Horton. And I told Ivan, well, let's get, get uh, you know, an empty cup and spare this <laughs> cup of coffee. Kind of send a message like, well, we are really struggling. Um, we have to figure out what to do. So we, uh, in that conversation, we, we talk about, yeah, it's not working. Let's pull the plug. But at the end, both of us realize, well, we don't really have to pull the plug. We perhaps... Uh, uh, we can hustle. We can find, uh, you know, some side hustles, you know, to keep us going, um, and 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 keep one better life. Uh, so, um, keep a long story short, uh, we even started another company. Uh, we did consulting on the side. We did a million uh, different things on on the side, and uh, keep us going. And what we discover, uh, in hindsight, we had the right. Uh, Wattpad had it's the right idea. Mobile uh, media consumption definitely took off, right? Uh, User-generated content or, or community or social network, they all took off. But one thing we did not have as much appreciation at the time is it takes time for the snowball to to roll down the hill. Um, initially, you just have to push and you push hard and it still doesn't roll. But once the flywheel, once the snowball starts, rolling uh, is unstoppable, but it took us almost three years to reach that, uh, I wouldn't even say escape velocity, escape velocity, but close to the point that we can visualize at some point we could achieve uh, escape velocity. Those three years must have been nerve-wracking throughout the process and um, I, it, I can't even imagine. Um, I wish you framed that check as well. But I'm curious about as it, uh, you know, you have snowball started rolling and it started to work. What was the monetization models? And was that um, a key component to you in building Wattpad is figuring out how to monetize it? Or was that more of an afterthought? Like where, where did that play into building this and, and what did it look like in the early stages or, yeah. or throughout? Well, we were bootstrapping for like five years almost. Uh, well, we, we raised a very small angel round in between, uh, but it took five years before we raised proper round of funding. And that round was uh, like led by Unisquare Ventures uh, in New York. You know, they they were the first uh, investor in, in, in Twitter Cloud. Um, uh, and uh, Conbase and uh, Zynga and many iconic companies. So anyway, um, uh, what I wanted to say was when we were bootstrapping, we didn't have a choice but put better ass. Uh, you know, that's an easy monetization model. It's not, we don't have to invent this for uh, social media companies. That's kind of obvious. But when we got the term sheet from uh, Albert Wenger from Union Square Ventures, 
he uh, in the email, not in the term sheet itself, he said, um, now, uh, Alan, would you mind uh, we add a clause in there uh, uh, for us to, to fund you guys? You have to get rid of all the S. And uh, when I read that, I must be a typo, right? So I, I call him up and Albert, I, I, I want to make sure I, I read this right. You asked us, we spent so hard in the past, past five years to get to uh, ramen profitability. Yeah. And you asked us to go back to zero. I just want to make sure I understand. And you said, yes, yeah. Your user experience right now is so poor because you have so many ads. It, it, it would slow you down in terms of user growth. Uh, and at this stage of your company, uh, you should focus on growing the user base. And uh, um, at the end, we, we didn't pull all the S, but I, I'm, I, I scaled that. I told Albert, you know, I, I hear you. Uh, I cringe when I look at my own website. <laughs> we have too many S because we have to eat. Okay. <laughs> so um, we, we found the compromise, you know, um, and it was a very, very good solution because it allowed us to continue to iterate on the advertising business. Uh, but we make sure the homepage, there's no bad ads. When you're reading, there's no like interruption. You know, uh, we, uh, um, uh, in a way, achieve both objectives. You know, learn the advertising business and keep the user experience very, very good. And that's our first uh, business model. But uh, I think until uh, almost like year seven of the company, we didn't we didn't really spend much time to to think about monetization. And then eventually we introduced uh, subscription, pay content, and uh, using AI to find the best content on our platform and turn them into TV shows and movies. Uh, um, well, perhaps you, you can see <laughs> the movie posters behind me. It's, it's not like I, of course I love those movies, but those are one of the many ways that we monetize. Um, that's such a fascinating, transition from the community element of write, writers and readers and pulling that into, you know, like a Hollywood-esque um, and getting um, these community writers to, to become so much bigger and so much more. Um, and I know I briefly told you before we started mm -hmm. chatting that my brother had wrote on Strange Yarns and I think it gave, sorry, on Wattpad a book called Strange Yarns mm -hmm. and it I think also builds a confidence perhaps for writers to kind of build an audience and see what works and what mm -hmm. doesn't. Um, I believe you introduced a bit of that AI um, element to the business. So before ChatGPT was all the rage. Um, so what what was the thought process behind that and what was some of the, the um, considerations in introducing AI? Um, in the back end of Wattpad? Yeah, it was uh, year 2012. Uh, Afterward, we raised uh, Series B. Uh, we were still very small. We had like 25 people in the company, uh, but we were swamped by one thing, data. Um, we, uh, I can't remember the numbers, probably 10x smaller than when we exit. Um, but uh, around 10 million users, but they are highly, highly engaging. They post millions of comments uh, every month. So we, we couldn't 
uh, we can just manually look at the data and figure out the trends, you know. So uh, we hired our first uh, data scientist, uh, our founding data scientist, Brandon. Um, that was uh, the best decisions, uh, one of the, the, the best decisions throughout the journey. We made a lot of very good decisions, I have to say, but uh, it, it was one of the best. Yes. Uh, uh, hiring him uh, helped us learn about something called machine learning and artificial intelligence. We, it was 2012, remember? Uh, um, the, no one was thinking about no it. One no one knows the AI godfathers. Uh, it, artificial intelligence was only in science fiction. But I think we probably were the first uh, um, companies that actually deployed this uh, um, I, I wouldn't claim we are the first, but definitely uh, Early. the first batch of the companies that start to use AI to mine the data and also predictively uh, find the best content uh, on our website, uh, on, on our platform. Um, we, uh, at one point, as an example, uh, very, very, uh, not very popular story. Uh, we predicted that based on uh, analysis based on the AI is telling us it would become the number one on our platform yeah. in a year. And it actually happened. That was the aha moment after the aha moment that it, this thing actually worked. Uh, I think it was maybe 2014. Then we start to see the, the, the fruits out of this. What one that is spectacular and clearly, um, made you feel like, wow, we just made an incredible decision. What did you then do with some of that information? If Thinking back, what were those key learnings that um, the insights provided you that made some you know, maybe pivotal moments for the business? Yeah, another pivotal moment of the business is expanding from a reading writing platform to full-blown entertainment platform that mm -hmm. includes movies and, and TV shows. Um, uh, it also happened around that time when we, when Brandon joined us, uh, I think around 2013, perhaps maybe a year, a year later, we, we start to, uh, partially because of looking at the data, that there was an aha moment, wait a minute, this is not, we, not just the uh, reading and writing engagement. We are sitting on a gold mine of content or creative IP, yeah. uh, uh, creative intellectual properties. And once we uh, made that, uh, not, not switch, but once we had that aha moment, then we realized, well, um, perhaps we should even change uh, um, well, change too too strong word. Refine our vision and and, and mission, so that uh, it's not just uh, reading and writing. If you look back, maybe ten years ago, uh, twelve years ago now, um, to that around two thousand twelve, um, the company mission was like we 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 want to be the uh, billion person using the platform to read and write something along this line, and then we. Uh, switch to to entertain and connect the world through stories. Very simple. Uh, in 2013 or, or 2014, um, that was the precursor to the 
Wattpad Studios that we launched in 2016. But there were years leading off to that. And I would give data and AI a lot of credit. Not the only thing we, we did at that time to help us find that aha moment, but um, definitely uh, one of the, the, the key reasons. Hearing you tell the story and just thinking about where you started and the journey to where you ended up, I'm sure when you reflect on it, you're just in awe of like this whole experience. And I want to hear a little bit more about the transition to Two Small Fish and how you and Ava have started your fund and what that looked like. And I know it's focused in Canada, so maybe a little bit of why that's the focus of the businesses you're invested in and a little bit about Two Small Fish. Yeah, so um, uh, Two Small Fish is almost 10 years old now. Uh, um, uh, Eva uh, left after we raised Series B around 2013, exactly 10 years ago. She yeah. left, uh, took, took a year off. Uh, she doesn't, uh, like me, she doesn't want to work in a large corporation. So yeah. she is, uh, uh, and uh, I think she was quite burned out at the, at the time. So she took a year off and then um, uh, what has started to take off, um, uh, we built a very um, uh, perhaps uh, prominent uh, brand, uh, uh, especially within Canada in the tech ecosystem, but of course globally as well. Uh, our users are over the world. So anyway, um, she got a lot of uh, like inbound. Hey, uh, Eva, uh, now that you are not working at Wattpad, do you have time? I, I just want to uh, um, perhaps uh, uh, learn from your experience how we could scale, how we could start, that kind of thing. And then really quickly, she turned herself into an angel investor. Um, and then two friends. Uh, uh, came along. Uh, hey, uh, well, uh, well, why why don't we we set up a fund uh, and let's do this together? And that's uh, two small fish ventures uh, fund one started in two thousand fifteen. Um, and before we knew, in the following four years, uh, we uh, we invested in roughly twenty companies. I'm a co-founder of two small fish ventures. My co-founder yeah. by name because. I, I ran my own company, Wattpad, at that time, right? So um, uh, uh, the investment uh, conversation only happened around the dining table uh, <laughs> in the evening. And uh, if a founder um, uh, needs some help, I'll jump on, hop on a quick call yeah. uh, for maybe half an hour. But my inter uh, involvement was minimal. minimal. Uh, um, yeah. Um, so... Um, during that period, uh, we invested. Uh, we wrote the first check to skip the dishes. We wrote the first check to uh, BenchSci, which now a 500-person company, AI company uh, in the pharmaceutical space. Uh, we also, uh, yeah, after they graduated from Founder Field, we were the only uh, one who wrote them the first check. And then uh, Ada um, also um, I think they're close to a thousand uh, person company now. We wrote the first check after uh, the product, the first product failed. They pivoted to, uh, it was a completely different idea. And, and uh, Mike Richardson uh, had that chatbot or support idea at that time. And we were friends already. He actually hang 
hung out at the Wattpad office uh, uh, one, one or two days per week for a few weeks to build the prototype because we had the most uh, support takers perhaps uh, in the in the entire Canada. So, uh, he leveraged that to build the first prototype. Yeah, so um, uh, it went really well. Uh, and then, uh, keep a long story short, uh, 2019, uh, Eva raised uh, fund two, and now we are on to uh, fund three, uh, much bigger fund. Um, uh, most of our portfolio companies are in Canada, but uh, uh, I also believe that uh, if uh, someone is building the next Google outside of Canada and that person, that team, Gave you a uh, call, ping you. Uh, you should. You're listen. not turning them so, down. <laughs> no, no, no. So uh, we are based here. Uh, our network is most, uh, strongest in Canada, but we also have very strong network in Silicon Valley, in the in the U.S. and around the world. So uh, yeah, we we are a global investment VC, but based in Canada. You clearly have had some heavy hitters and some wins. Uh, with two small fish ventures, is there a framework you use when choosing which companies to invest in, or is there a gut feeling with the founding team? How how do you make some of that assessment? Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, I guess uh, perhaps in one sentence, I can summarize what we okay. invest in. We we invest in the next frontier of uh, of computing and its application. Okay. Very simple to explain. Uh, when you uh, take a, a deeper dive, uh, uh, we have a lot of AI companies in the portfolio. Uh, we have um, a few companies that are uh, protocols, uh, like blockchain protocols. I, I would say uh, blockchain uh, and AI, they are starting to converge. Uh, I have a long thesis. We have a long thesis about that. I'll spare you all the, all the detail. And then the third area of focus is uh, sustainable computing. Um, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, uh, Eva worked for ATI, now AMD. She has semiconductor experience. I'm an electrical engineer by design. I, I know semiconductor or hardware uh, really well. And Brandon uh, now also joined us uh, as a partner of the firm. Uh, she uh, He has a small stint at uh, NVIDIA as well. So. Uh, we, we cover a lot of bases, but um, it's the next frontier of computing and its applications. Uh, I, I guess that's the easiest way to describe. Um, it's interesting to hear throughout, you know, all all the hard work and, and decisions that you've had to make and some of the frameworks you shared. There's still these elements of the stars aligning mm -hmm. to make, you know, uh, the story come come true and come to where you are now, which is really, really fascinating. Um, I know we're we're almost at the end of our mm -hmm. conversation, and I always end with two questions. So one is throughout the entrepreneurial journey and and when I work with um, startups or founders, I find that there's a lot of myths that they're told throughout mm -hmm. their journey. And I'm curious if there are any myths that you are told or that you hear that you would want to dispel to aspiring entrepreneurs or founders within their journey right now. I guess uh, in a way, I kind of touch on this uh, from the outside. Well, you are the CEO. You are a tech founder. It's very glamorous, perhaps not Hollywood glamorous, but it's, it's glamorous. 
uh, perhaps uh, not the uh, best word to describe, but you get the idea. But behind the scene, you're uh, trying to make do. <laughs> you are struggling. You are uh, you have five balls in the in the air and you juggle. Um, so um, the struggle is real, and in a way, um, that's why uh, Two Small Fish is very unique in a way that I actually spend most of my time uh, helping uh, founders to, to scale from just the founding team to perhaps uh, to, to all the way to, to a scale up. Uh, and I think that's uh, not a lot of people can appreciate the, the challenges, but I've done it three times. Uh, Every uh, uh, situation, every challenges uh, that uh, people have experienced, uh, at least at the bare minimum, I can share that experience. So I, I, I think this is one thing that's uh, super helpful and, and uh, the founders in our portfolio appreciate. And that's the, the biggest myth, <laughs> I, I would say. Yeah, I think that's that's a real one. I think a lot of the time when people are thinking, even like, young kids coming out of university oh, i want to be an entrepreneur i want to be rich and like you there's all it's not as pretty as it looks it is hard hard days very low bottoms and obviously there's wins and you have to take time to celebrate those but mm-hmm. it's a grind it's yeah, a, a special person all, has we, to be cut out of that yeah we, we didn't have time to talk about this but during the, the years when we had that a two dollar check from Google. I uh, we as a family we almost ran out of money. We were thinking about why well, we have to sell our house. Uh, we ran out, ran out of cash. Right. It's yeah. uh, um, looking back. I'm sure you're just like, how did we go through that? How did like how did we make it through? But you did, and it was obviously all worth it. But I think uh, people forget how difficult it is to to run a business, to be your own boss, mm-hmm. to be the person yep. making all those decisions. Um, so thank you for sharing that. The very last question, as you know, the name of the podcast is How I Became. And the idea is everyone's naming their episode on how they became whatever you are today. So if you were to name your episode, How I Became, fill in the blank, what would you name your episode? I would say perhaps... Uh... How I became a learning machine. Um, not going to repeat what I said early on. You know, you have to be unrecognizable every yeah. two years. Just unrecognizable is not enough. But if you run a fast scaling startup, the end result, the outcome, you just become unrecognizable every every two years. And behind that is you just need to keep on growing, keep on learning. You pick up new skills uh, and all those things, and uh, I I would say um, learning how to build a sales team, learning how to build a marketing team from absolutely nothing. I was the the one behind our Twitter account at one point, so uh, that kind of skill I I don't think unless you you you. You, you run fast scaling startup is 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 it's just very hard to to find the opportunity to 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 learn this fast and I would 
I, I feel like I'm in a very lucky and privileged position that kind of fell on my, my lap that I, I have to make it work. I, I have to force myself to learn and over time it became a habit. And, and I think that's, uh, yeah, that's how I became a le- learning machine. Incredible title. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to share this episode and I really appreciate you sharing your story today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. How I Became a Blue Mex Podcast is hosted by Kelly Yuffet and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more How I Became content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.